Good morning, Chapel, downtown Richmond. Love you guys. Come on, give it up for the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. Love you guys. Everybody online, you're awesome. You can be seated. You can be seated. Well, what a great day. Uh, good morning. We're going to be in a series in Psalm 23. I'll tell you about that in just a few minutes. But want to look in the back of the room at the camera and say, good morning, Chapel Scott's edition. Love you guys. Pastor Jason, Brandy, the whole team there. So excited about what God's doing in Richmond. And uh, I want to take the next minute or two um, to give you an update. And this is a big day for us as a church. If you're new here today, for the last couple months, we've been preparing today to launch what we're calling next. And uh, today we're going to officially launch that. And I'm going to tell you about that in a few minutes. But we spent the past few weeks uh, ramping up to this point and prepping and beginning to prepare for all God wants to do. And today with this announcement today, we're going to officially launch the vision God's given to us. And so I hope you're ready to celebrate. You guys ready to celebrate with us today? Thank you for being out here today. Thank you for being here. And are you guys ready? Come on. Are you guys ready? Come on, Scott's edition. Are you ready? And uh, we have all these kids up here to help us announce uh, our starting point to, non- to next. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of context here. Um, we're doing a one fund uh, generosity initiative as a church. And what that means is that we've each considered over the last couple months what we can do uh, to make a commitment to next. We made that commitment in conjunction, you saw the way we did those cards, with a, an increase of what we could do on top of what we already give to the church. And so here's why that's important because some churches in a building campaign expansion, they shut down missions and ministry and outreach. and. One of the things that was on our board's heart was to not pull back on on Easter and VBS and outreach and missionaries in the middle of all this. So the first thing we did was ask for a commitment to our uh, what we call our ministry plan, which is the missions and ministries of the church. This is so so healthy for us to structure it that way. I know it can feel a touch confusing, but it's a healthy way to structure it so that the vital ministries of the church and mission of the church day in and day out, don't, don't, um, don't uh, struggle over the next two years. And, and then on top of that, we, we set out to raise a, an ambitious amount on top of all that uh, of an additional $5 million to expand. And, um, and so I want to give you an update. I want to give you an update in three or four uh, points. Here's the first one today. And that is, I'm, I'm so happy to report today that the general fund giving of the church for 2022 and 2023 because of your generous commitments has been covered. And so what that means is that the budget and ministry plan of the next two years of the church has already been committed to by the church. Come on, can we celebrate that today? That's incredible. And uh, man, celebrate what God's doing. And on top of that, our starting point to fulfill what God has for us in Scott's edition and Midlothian and our future was to raise an additional $5 million of expanded capital. And so today I want to give you an update of where we're at on our starting point. And you guys are going to turn these cards around here today. I'm going to put this down and we're going to turn the card around and raise it up high. Come on, let's do that today. Let's turn that card around, can we? And raise it up high. Come on, let's do that. Come on, let's do that. Come on, let's do that. Come on, somebody give it up. Yeah. Isn't God good? Come on, isn't God good? He deserves all 
the glory and honor and praise. This means 4,519,732. This means we're 90% on launch Sunday. Catch that. Our full ministry plan for next two years covered and 90% of the way there to what we need to do what God's called us to do. God is so good. I want to share with you just two things that literally made me cry in this process. Can I share with you guys two things? And you're doing amazing with those numbers. The average, you, you, the people in our church love this church and love God so much that the average increase in giving, this blew me away. Our treasurer and I were texting during the week this week, just literally tears. The 82% increase in giving was made by the families of this church. And I want you to know you are amazing. You're the best. That's incredible. I just want to give you a perspective. That means that the average family in our church is nearly doubling their giving to make room for more people, to tell more kids about Jesus, to reach more people in Scott's edition, to see more youth give their life to Jesus. I'm just overwhelmed with joy at your incredible generosity. I want to share with you another number that's amazing. 138 households that have never given to the chapel made commitments to jump in to the 138 households made commitments that they're going to start their giving journey with our church. And I want to say thank you and uh, thank you for your generosity and your sacrifice to invest in the vision of this church, the vision that God has for us. Remember, I want you to hear this from me. I believe God will honor your sacrifice and your generosity your faithfulness. Let me just say this. This is not the finish line. This is the starting block, okay? This is day one. Everything we've been doing has been getting us to this point today. And today we launch into the fulfillment of these commitments. I want to give you one other thing. You remember, apart from just the number, and you guys can put those numbers down. I don't want to make your arms too tired. Uh, You should just drop it on the floor. That's great. And uh, uh, our primary goal is 100% participation. So during these next two years, I believe new families that God's going to lead to our church are going to jump into this. I'd love to see everyone who calls this church home participate, but today's the official launch of next, and we're at 90%. I believe that those that are going to join our church in the next two years are going to help us. I think there may even be a few people still here that haven't yet jumped in, and so we're ready to move forward. Let me give you one other piece of advice, and then I'm going to let you guys go. You're doing amazing. And that is that we're ready to pull the trigger on the construction phase of this project. But after getting counsel from a couple of different contractors, we're realizing that if we pre-buy steel and windows early in this process, in the next couple months, we can lock in the rates and the costs of this project so it doesn't balloon. And um, so because we're listening to their wisdom and the guidance of contractors, we're going to move quick on that. So I'm just going to let you know, today's the day we start fulfilling these, and the next eight months are going to be crucial. How many know inflation, all this kind of stuff? And so if we can lock in some of the costs on steel and windows and everything, we can can, uh, really have a better picture of what the cost of this project is going to be. And so we're going to move forward on this because of your incredible commitments. 
We have a little bit more to do, but how many know that's God's problem, right? And uh, he's going to make it happen. But I want to just let you know that the unbelievable commitment, generosity, you all are amazing. You've made me cry. You've made me thankful. You've made me grateful. In the middle of a world of chaos, you've stepped in to help us help more people come to know God, find freedom, and make a difference. And I'm thankful for you, Scott's edition. Thank you for you, Midlothian. Thankful for you online. We love you. Guys, thank you guys. The kids can go. Come on, give it up for the kids today. Come on, kids can go. Kids can go. Here, I'm going to give this to you here, right here. Amen. Come on, come on, everybody. How many know God is good, right? We're in a series on Psalm 23. Scott's a I just have something in my heart that there's, this is a moment of faith for our church. And I want us to give praise to God. And uh, how are we doing today? Good. We're going to read scripture out loud together. One of the great uh, chapters of the Bible, Psalm 23. And we, we decided this series to all read it out loud together. And so we're going to do that today. The scripture will uh, appear here for us. And we're just going to quote it together. Come on, let's do it out loud all together. Scott's edition here in the room. Come on. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house. God, speak through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell the person next to you, you look good today, and then you can be seated. You look good today. Well, uh, we're in a series. We started mini-series leading up to Easter. How many know Easter's two weeks away? Come on. We got a Friday night service in Midlothian. Then we got Saturday services in Midlothian and Scott's edition Sunday. So lots of extra service times, lots of special stuff planned, photo booth and after service stuff. So you don't want to miss it. There's nothing like Easter. How many know Jesus rose from the dead? Amen. And uh, Easter's coming. But leading up to Easter, we, we felt like we wanted to just camp out in one of the, uh, the kind of classic books, uh, uh, chapters of the Bible, Psalm 23. And it's, it's probably the most well-known psalm of all. And in fact, if you missed last week, we got it started and we saw how the Lord is our shepherd and he leads us by still waters and he leads us into green pastures and, and we were, we're encouraged by all that. And today I want to talk to you about a valley, okay? How many know valleys are part of life? Anybody? There's mountaintops and there's valleys, right? I, w- I, wish, I wish it wasn't so. I wish I could be like the TV preacher that says, well, if you just send me $100, you'll never have any trouble. But how many know that's not true? How many know Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. But then he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so the question is not, uh, well, will we go through valleys in life? It's how do we live with joy and enthusiasm? And how do we thrive in the valley seasons of our life? And, and, and we, we believe that, that we can walk in the valley and take God's hand and trust him. In fact, one pastor said, uh, there's three kinds of people. People who are in the middle of a valley. People who are coming out of a valley. 
or people that are headed into a valley. How many know that's encouraging today, right? I mean, like life is full of valleys and we have to learn how to walk with God on the mountain and we also have to learn how to walk with God in the valley. And that's what the psalmist reminds us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And this would be a a time, you you remember the shepherds in the ancient world, they would lead their, their sheep sometimes on green pastures and still waters, but then there were times they had to lead them to where a lot of the water was, which was in, which was in the valley. And they'd make the long walk down from the hills into the valley, and a couple of fears could happen. First of all, the sun wasn't as bright there. There were shadows cast over over their walk, and so they'd, the animals would be nervous for predators on the side or thieves or bandits around, even flash floods in the ancient world. Not only that, that's where enemy attackers would be because in the ancient world, strong armies couldn't get their chariots in the hills. So they'd wait for people to come in the valleys and they'd overtake them. It's a picture of insecurity. It's a, a valley is a picture of uncertainty, a picture of insecurity, a picture of doubt, a, a picture of fear, a picture of being overwhelmed by life. It's a picture of the last two years, everybody. I mean, that's just what it is, right? Every day, every month. Somebody said, what's it been like pastoring through the last two years? I said, I don't even know how long it's been. I don't know what's happened. I just, come on, take it one day at a time. Another problem, another day, right? And, and, and we have to learn how to walk through these valleys in life and, and handle them. In fact, I'll, I'll never forget, um, I think I told you when Katie was pregnant with our first child, we told her grandpa, who was almost 100 years old, that, we were, that we were, she was pregnant. He was all mad. And I said, I, I wasn't expecting that. I thought when you were becoming a great, great grandpa, you'd be happy. And he said, don't bring children into the world in these days, right? And then he and I began to talk about what he'd lived through. Uh, a couple of world wars, <laughs> uh, um, gas. Uh, I mean, how many know the stock market depression? I mean, I mean, like all he, I, we just list Hitler. Come on, somebody. Like, hey, I we talked to, him, and he goes, oh, I guess. How many know it's always been bad? Come on, somebody. In fact, I don't know about you. I'm ready to put the word unprecedented out of my vocabulary. Can I get a witness today? Okay. Because life has always been filled with valleys and challenges. And the psalmist says, hey, there's a, there's a different kind of walk that can happen. There can be somebody who walks through a valley. And look at these words because they're so countercultural this weekend. They said there's a group of people that walk through valleys and they fear no evil. Now, how, how many know we live in a world that fears everything right now, right? uncertainty. A couple weeks ago, I was in line and somebody said, how are you doing today? And I said, actually, I'm doing pretty good. And they said, well, with the way the world is right now, I can't imagine why anyone would be pretty good. Excuse me? Really? Because we're about to buy a $4 cup of coffee at Starbucks with discretionary spending, ma'am. And you just got out of a nice car and you're, you're wealthier than mine. Come on, somebody, I almost preached right there. You know what I mean? I'm just telling you, we live in a world that's fearful of all. And, and the psalmist says there can be a kind of living that's different than the world. It's the voice, not the echo. It's not following the culture. Even though, not just on the mountaintops, not just in the victories, but there can be a kind of faith that fears no evil, even in the valley, okay? So I want to talk to us this weekend about how do we live a, a fear no evil kind of faith in the valley. I'm going to give you five principles that David really anchors our soul in this chapter that if we understand these five things about God and about our, ourselves, we can live with a fear no evil uh, kind of heart and faith 
even in the circumstances of our life. Here, here's the first thing. Come on, just write it down. You are not alone. <laughs> How many know we are not alone, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Now, this is unusual. I want you to see it in Psalm 23. Up until this point, the writer, David, who is writing of us being sheep and, and, and God being a shepherd, he describes everything that God is doing in the third person. Let me just show you it. He says, he's going to lead me and, and, and he's going to guide me and, and he's going to restore me and he's going to lead me in paths of righteousness. He, 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 he. But when he gets to the valley, it's no longer he. Come on, somebody. He says, when I walk through that valley, it's not a he that's with me. It's who? Come on, it's you. He switches from third person to second person. Meaning he says, in the moment of trouble, God gets closer to us. Hey, did you know that's true? In moments of trouble, God gets closer to us. In fact, he says, I'm not just talking theoretically about a God out there. I'm not just talking about a God in, in a Bible, although we stand on God's word and we believe in organization and all. I'm talking about a personal, you know, a personal connection to God. My grandma used to sing an old hymn that, that had this line that said, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart, right? Meaning she was saying, I can give you all the reasons why Jesus was resurrected and all the arguments, but I talked to him today. Come on, somebody, right? Like we need, in moments of struggle, we need to know no more than about God. We need to know God. And the psalmist says, there's a point where God gets close to us in our valley moments of life and our struggles of life like no other time. Even there, you are with me. You're close to me, God, in the struggle moments of life. Uh, one, one of the beaches we used to go to when we lived up in the Northeast had a little, a little couple rides on the boardwalk and my daughter wanted to go on this haunted house. And so I never really liked haunted houses. I pretended I wasn't scared, but I was a little bit scared. I don't know why. I just am. Plus, I kind of have a, a, a theological problem with pain to be scared. It feels odd to me. But you know what I realized? This little girl that was getting older and didn't want to hold her dad's hand anymore. Man, when we were in a haunted house, she got close. So I said, sure, we can go. She'd snuggle up. Oh, come on. I'd squeeze her a little scare too. And, uh, but I'm just telling you, when the, when, the, when the things started jumping out and spiders started dropping, she, how many know in, in moments of difficulty, we need the closeness of our father, don't we? And in the valley of the shadow of death, David said, it's not then a he. It's not just a shepherd I've heard about. It's not just a God I've read about. It's a per, I'm talking to you. And not only that, you can only say the word you when somebody's with you. Did you know that? This is, this is very deep preaching today. Like you can say he or she when somebody's not there. But if you're saying you, guess what it means? Isn't that good? Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. I have a personal, in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with, God is close to us in our moments of struggle. Aren't you glad for that, right? And I love this words, I, I, I won't fear for you are with me, but he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, come on, somebody say the word through, come on. Through. Here's the second thing. Not only are we not alone, this isn't forever. Don't we need to be reminded of that in the middle of the valley? We tend to think it's always going to be this way. Oh, my word, will it ever change? 
And I'm here to remind you, because maybe you're on a mountain, but maybe you're in a valley this week. This isn't your permanent resting place. David said, I'm not here. I'm not pitching a, a tent and setting up camp. I'm not buying a home in the valley. I'm just passing through. And I'm reminding us today that trials are momentary struggles, but there's faith that God has for our future. You're just passing through, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the sheep. I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to settle down here. I'm not, the, the sheep had to, from time to time, go from the highlands to the lowlands, but they weren't going to camp out there. There'd be moments of, of fear and uncertainty, but it is not forever, right? God has more for us. God leads us through. In fact, uh, when our uh, oldest daughter was born, Hallie, we are living in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, in seminary, and... Um, uh, Katie went through a first season of just kind of depression. I don't know what that was, but right after how he was born, discouragement. And first of all, it kind of was strange because when we got married, I was the emotional one and she was the steady one, right? And now she's all discouraged. And I said, this is kind of false advertising because when we got married, I was under the impression that you were the strong one. I, I, I don't need someone else like me. I need somebody else not like me. And... Uh, but I'll never forget one of the pastors that was counseling us looked at her and said, this too shall pass. This isn't going to be your forever. And, and, I, and you know what? For a little while, that was all we could hold on to was this too shall pass. I feel like God wanted me to remind some people this weekend, this isn't your forever. This too shall pass. And the enemy says there is no more bright tomorrow. It's always going to be this way. But God says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. How many know we need to believe for better days, right? Even in the valley, I'm walking through the valley of the show. I'm not setting up camp there. I'm not accepting this as forever. I'm not adding a difficulty and on top of it getting depressed. How many know that's how it hits us, right? We're, We're discouraged. We have a difficulty, then we get discouraged about it, then we worry about it and we compound our problems. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And, and I'm just telling you, this is just a season. I've discovered with four kids, sometimes you gotta weather some seasons in life, right? In fact, I've discovered with four kids, there's always one to keep you proud and always one to keep you humble. And they change, they're like whack-a-mole. You're like, I fixed that one, right? Fix that one. What's happening? Help me, Lord, you know. And I'm just telling you that the lie of the enemy is to say you're going to live in this place forever. And the psalmist says, no, even when I walk through, 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 when I walk through the valley, you are with me. I love that word we saw last week in verse 3 that even in valley moments, he's a God who restores our soul. In fact, if you missed it last week, we we camped out on that verse and we said it, it kind of refers to a cast sheep, which is a sheep who lays down and in a in a depression in the ground or something, it can oftentimes roll over and get caught on its back. And a sheep, if it stays there, particularly in hot climates, the sheep can die on its back. And so the shepherd would come and restore. He would flip the sheep over. And we reminded ourselves last week, it's true though in the valleys, that God can offer us seasons of refreshing, right? Have you ever, have you ever been tired, but you're not physically tired your mind and your soul, your spirit is tired. Do you know what I mean? It's the kind of thing where a nap doesn't help. It's like, it's like I'm just tired on the inside. <laughs> In fact, I made a list of things that help you know you're getting a little tired emotionally or you need refreshing. It's, uh, it's when you're short with people. Come on, somebody. You're, I saw you in the parking lot today. And, uh, 
Or little things set you off. You ever had that? You're like all upset over something real little, you know? Or, or you're overwhelmed by the slightest thing. Or you, you just can't feel like you can get your cup refilled. I love one of the translations that says he restores my soul. It literally says this. He causes my life to return. I've prayed that this week over some people. That you might be here in a valley thinking I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm struggling. I prayed that God would cause your life to return inside. That he wouldn't just refresh your physical body, but your mind, your soul, your spirit. Your good shepherd will pull you like a sheep close. And he would refresh your soul. He'd give, you, he'd give life back to your body. I mean, some of you last week, we heard the story of he makes me lie down in green pastures and by still waters. And you thought, man, that sounds good. In fact, I was reading this week at how terrible. Did you know Mer- Americans are terrible at sleep? In fact, in 1950, it was believed that because of all the advances of technology, Americans would only be working about 25 hours a week by the year 2000. How many know they got that a little wrong, right? (laughs) Did you know we got major sleep problems in this country? Only 34% of us here in Scott's Edition in Midlothian, only 34% of us get enough sleep. Only 34% of us get seven good hours of sleep a night. I had somebody tell me a while ago, I can sleep, I'm good with three and a half hours. I looked at him, I said, you don't look good to me, so I <laughs> might need to look that up because I'm looking at you, and I disagree. You ever been to Brookstone? They still have those around here, Brookstone? You know the store that you never buy anything from, but you can sit in the chair? How uh, many know what I'm talking about? You go in there. You know what I discovered? I discovered an app for sleeping. You know what that is? It makes noises like, ooh, you know, gentle rain. Come on. Uh, you know what one makes me sleep? I don't know. A, 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 a washing machine that, that makes it wah, 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 wah. <laughs> We're setting the app on vacation, and Katie's like, which one do you pick? I'm like, I like this one. She's like, the banging? I'm like, it's great. It, bang, bang. I mean, it says something about my personality. I got issues. She's here to tell you. She's like, I like the gentle rain. I'm like, no, listen to this one. It looks like a mild home invasion. I mean, uh, and uh, so I'm just here to tell you, God can take some people that are burnt out, stressed out. He can restore our soul. He can restore. He can, he can cause our life to return. Access seasons of refreshing come for the people of God. Can anybody say amen to that, right? Like that's what we need in our lives. And I want you to see how he says he's going to do it because it's kind of strange And this is not, I got to warn you, this next verse is not going to be your favorite, but but it's in the Bible, so we got to talk about it. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, okay? Now, did you know there's a difference between discipline and punishment? How many know punishment is just punitive? It's just correcting somebody. But how many know discipline is to bring correction for the good of the one you correct? And the shepherds would have two instruments on with them at all times, they would have a rod and a staff. A rod would be like a club, it'd be like a, I don't know, it's like a billy club kind of. It'd be on their belt oftentimes and it would have a metal tip on the end and they, it'd be used to fight off wolves or predators. It was an aggressive um, uh, instrument that could inflict pain on others. So it had, a, it had a rod and then it had, come on, somebody, I think we got one here today. And then, the, so not only did they have the rod that could defend they had a staff. Come on. Thank you, Karen. Give it up for Karen for helping me out today, right? So, so, so here's, here's the fourth thing that there is. There is safety and security, okay? So let me talk to you about these two instruments and make sure we all understand them. There's, there's a rod that is meant to correct the sheep. 
And there's a staff that is meant to protect the sheep, right? In fact, um, shepherds actually say that if a, if a small lamb is used to wandering away from the flock, the shepherd will sometimes take the rod or the staff and correct the sheep a little. <clears throat> Come on, somebody, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you may hear that and you go, no, 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 no. In fact, a, a shepherd will sometimes inflict on the edge or the uh, uh, leg of the sheep until, and to cause some pain to that sheep. And you say, well, that sounds mean of a shepherd to strike a sheep in any way. But how many know what's meaner is to let that sheep walk away from the flock? You want to know what happens when a defenseless sheep gets away from the flock? I mean, they can't do anything. They barely have teeth. Like, they're just goners, you know? And so the shepherd has to make a decision. Will I, will I have momentary discomfort for the sheep to protect them forever? Or will I give this sheep its own way forever? And it ultimately brings destruction. How many know sometimes God has to protect us from th- some things outside of us? How many know sometimes he has to cor- correct us for something inside of us? How many know sometimes the valley is one we got put in because of no fault of our own? But can we be honest? Sometimes we're in a valley and we got ourselves there. Through our own decisions, through our own wrong ways of handling things. And we have a God who is a correcting God. In fact, if you don't believe this, I want to just show you this in scripture because we've got to believe this. Hebrews says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he what? Is it a sign of love to discipline? Yes. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but what? But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it, right? I mean, we, I, I don't know. I grew up in the 80s, okay? It was just different then. How many know what I'm talking about? My dad was about to whoop me one time, and he said, this hurts me. This always hurts me more than it hurts you. And you know what I said? Don't do this to yourself. I'm telling you, don't. It's not fair. But I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, a loving father, a love, you, if you ever meet a parent that gives their kid everything they want, you get a kid that no one likes. I shouldn't preach this, but it's true. Because you think no one can, no, no, everyone likes kids. Not some kids. I'm just telling you, we don't. And, and it's because correction is meant to shape the life and the soul. It is not, discipline is not seen as, to, to take a sheep and say, don't go away from the flock. Don't go near the edge. Uh, uh, don't, don't, die, don't be caught by predators. Don't walk out. That is not an unloving shepherd. That's a loving shepherd who says, I'm going to inflict a, a little bit of momentary discomfort on you, but I'm trying to make you, make you grow up to be a part of this flock that, hey, we need to be okay. Sometimes God sends 
brings us through the valleys to shape our character, to chip some things off of us, to transform us. James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How many would testify today, God knows better than we know and his correction is for our good and his glory, right? And so we just got to be open with that. Come on, just come and take this from me because I'll just keep swinging it and I shouldn't. And so I'm just here to say today, thank you, that maybe you've walked through a challenging season, but God's just using this valley with his rod and his staff to correct us, to make us more like the image of our Savior. And we embrace that today. Even though it's, discom- even though it's uncomfortable, we embrace it for his glory. And in the end, it will be our good. Romans 8, 28, for we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Let me tell you what else he says right on the heels of this. He says, God, surely, which is a way of saying for reals, okay? Surely goodness, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. The word love is uh, in some translation, mercy. It's the said of God. It's the loving, it's the kindness. But here's what he's saying. There's something that's going to follow me all the days of my life. And it's the goodness of God. I want you to get this last principle and give me just a couple minutes to unpack it. Because if we don't get this last one, we, none of the other ones make sense. And I think this is the one that in the battle for our soul in difficult moments of life is the most challenging. And that is in the valley, we tend to question the kindness of our God, don't we? Why would God, how come we, it shouldn't be, we need to learn to say this even in the valley. Just just write it down. God is good. Even in difficult moments, God is good. In fact, I used to go to a camp (laughs) A little Baptist church had 20 people. The pastor's name was Dwayne Benny, but they were all real country people. They called him D-Wayne, Pastor D-Wayne Benny. And he used to say every Sunday, God is good. And the people would say, all the time. Then he'd say, all the time. God, come on, somebody, let's just let me be D-Wayne Benny today. Come on, God is good. And all the time. Listen, the psalmist said, I got to tell you something in the valley, because if you don't get it straight, we're going to see it next week. In fact, he's at a table surrounded by enemies. He says, you and I have got to settle what the character of God is, and the character of God is, is of a good God. You don't think God is good. Some people say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And I understand the questions behind that sickness and uncertainty. I understand all that. But if you want to know how much our God loves us, picture the person of Jesus Christ who took death upon himself. He stood in our place, suffered himself. He entered into our struggle to give us hope. God is good. And we must know that. We must get that settled in our life. In fact, I love this verse. I think maybe everyone should just memorize it. You are good, and you do good. God, you are good, and you do good. This is what this verse teaches. There will never be a day in which the goodness and mercy of the Lord will not be immediately nearby you. Surely goodness and mercy, they're always there. They're always there. In fact, the psalmist says that this is a picture of sheepdogs in the ancient world. 
And the sheepdogs would circle the flock. And anytime a, little, anytime a sheep would start to get on the outside, the sheepdog would nip at its heel. And literally it's saying, God, here's what God nips at us with. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. It's a great story of the um, great evangelist, um, D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, great pastor evangelist in Chicago. And a woman who who was struggling in her emotions, made an appointment with him, came into his office. She said, wherever I go, these two men stalk me. They're there every time I get off the trolley downtown. Every time. And he, he could tell, Dwight Moody could tell that this woman wasn't completely feeling good in her own mind and thinking she was sick. She said, in fact, the men are in the office right here. You see them, they're there. And Dwight Moody said, they're not there. And she said, oh, they're there. They're always there. They're always there. And he tried to convince her they weren't there and she wouldn't accept it. She was sick. So he got an idea. He said, oh, okay, ma'am, I know who those men are. She said, you know who the men are that have been following me? He said, those men right there, they're David's men. She said, who is David's men? And Dwight Moody opened Psalm 23, verse 6. And he said, I want to tell you that David's men, that God says are going to follow you, their goodness and mercy. These are David's men. And she said, you mean to tell me that's their names, goodness and mercy? Goodness and mercy. And this lady walked out of that office saying, man, goodness and mercy are with me. Hey, I'm telling you today, if there's one thing that will stalk you and follow you all the days of your life, if you're a child of God, it's the goodness. Hey, David's men are with you today. Goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. In fact, one scholar says that this phrase, follow, is hinging upon an earlier experience in David's life. Those of you that know the Old Testament know that David, after he was a shepherd, became a king, and he had a great first half of his reign, and the second half of his reign was very painful. In fact, his son, Absalom, led a rebellion against him, and David was on the run being followed by his son, trying to, Absalom and his men, to kill his own father. And here's what the scholar said. This pursuit in David. Psalm 23, 6. This pursuit may recall the days of David's flight from Absalom. David is testifying that whatever threats have, been, have chased him, there's always a greater pursuer afoot, goodness and mercy. And though he's been hounded by those who seek to harm him, he remains confident that this divine love will stalk his every step. He is convinced that divine love will be with him to the end. I'm here to remind us today that because of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross, his incarnation taking on humanity, sacrificial death on the cross and and, uh, physical resurrection, Jesus Christ has then set his love upon his people. In fact, in the New Testament, it calls them beloved. Beloved. Do you know you're loved of God, right? And the only, some of us have grown up with this idea of an angry God and a frustrated God and a God is chasing us down. Now, and I'm here to remind us today, the only thing that's stalking you is the goodness and the mercy of God. He cares for us. And yes, life is full of valleys. In fact, you know what I've discovered a little bit longer in life? I've discovered that sometimes life isn't even one mountain and then a valley. Sometimes it's a mountain and a valley at the same time. How many have discovered that, right? I've discovered there's difficulty in life. How many know it rains sometimes on vacation, right? How many know we have all kinds of suffering in our world, right? Country music and other plagues. Come on, where are the Duke fans today? I mean, Coach K's last game and you grieve today. I just got news for you. Devils should always lose, so get over it. And uh, 
Bless the Lord, oh my soul. But I'm here to just remind us today, God is good and he does good. Surely goodness and mercy follow the people of God, stalk the people of God all the days of our life. For we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will fear no evil when I walk through the valley because he's with me. He's refreshing me. He's caring for me. He's correcting me. He's protecting me. And ultimately, even in that moment when all the world will say, what's going on? We can stand in settled assurance and say, our God is good. Anybody believe in a good God this weekend? Our God. Come on. Our God is good. Our God does good. And our confidence is in him. And I'm, I'm walking and the, the, the sheepdogs of mercy and loving kindness are nipping at my heels and teaching me that I can trust in him. Come on. Let's stand together all over this room and our band's coming back today. And if you're in a valley, I'd love to pray for you today. Scott's Edition here in Midlothian, Chesterfield County Jail online. Would you just bow your heads all over this room? I won't embarrass you today, I promise. But you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm in a valley. Come on, just hands up all over this room. I'm in a valley. Come on, so many hands, yeah. In Scott's Edition, hands just, I'm in a valley. God, for those of us with our hands raised today, we're in a valley. Even then, you are with us. Oh God, your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cup overflows. So God, you've not called for us to make it through this faith. You've called for an overflowing kind of faith that trusts in our great God. So we confess today, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And we'll dwell in your house today, oh God. Give your people strength and comfort and courage. We call upon you. We call upon you. Call upon you. Come on, let's just take a sacred moment. Oh God, you're strong and mighty.